just the number of songs that gets me. It's like a black eye. Uh, was it a was it a, was it a peas? What's that band called? Black, black eyed peas. peas. It's like a black eyed peas Christmas song. You were so song. close. You had the black eyes. I wasn't sure. Like, I just hate the band so much. I can't remember their name. It literally says a, a hip hop backing track topped with Christmas sounds, bright and light. It's it's the volume of songs. It's not that the genre exists. I've pretty much wrapped my head around that now. Hey, Doug, are you, a, because you're a musician, are you a music snob? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I don't like bad music. <laughs> Whatever a dog that make me a snob and says good trip, good pick. I feel no. Really it de- happy. I guess like what do you define as? Oh, it's so bad. Music. Oh, I, you can't. It's subjective. Right. What's Here. bad to one person is good to another. I don't. I'm not really. I, people like what they like. Is I don't. This just yeah. speak, just, I like to rag on the Black Eyed Peas because I just I'm not yeah. a big fan. I just find it very cookie cutter. But hey, you know what? If you like them, whatever. I don't care. So you don't believe in like guilty pleasure music? I find. Oh, that. totally, totally. Yeah, there's definitely pop acts of like. Uh, I remember back in the day, I loved Brian Adams. Like, that's like, what you, that's, what, that's so to me is guilty pleasure music. That's not. That's not a this guilty. Is what I'm ta- no, sorry, but I should music? say like I should say ballads. Oh my god! I should say like ballads specifically, like uh, everything I do, do for you or whatever. It's the a one from song. It is a lovely song. Thank mm-hmm. you. I know, but see, some people would classify that as like you know more cookie cutter stuff. Let's but not I, I love that kind the of career, stuff. Brian Adams. Let's try. Hey, <laughs> he's a he's a Canadian wow. Canadian icon. I just came to that one first because I really like uh, pop ballads specifically. Mm-hmm. And some people, have, namely my ex-bandmates, have ragged on me over the years for that. But I'm a big pop ballad guy. What about Her- I think if you could write a good pop ballad, that's incredible because it's very hard to do to write a good one that isn't super cheesy. What about hair metal ballads? Like uh, like November Rain and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. Was, Every Rose Has Its Thorn or whatever. Yeah, poison yeah. Song. Poison stuff. I, <laughs> that isn't my thing so much, but I, I love a good... 80s or 90s rock ballad. Okay. You're all Bri- missing- Brian Adams is among the best. You're all missing the point, but that's it's unfortunate that we have a radio show and we need to move along. You're missing but- the point that A-Dog threw Brian Adams under the bus? Well, there. I'm just clarifying I didn't because I'm saying he's excellent at that. And I to love me, that's my music, gu- like Brian Adams. <laughs> Maybe this is why Sat never agrees to come on the show. <laughs> Joining us now from Canucks Central, Canucks pregame, Canucks postgame, graciously waking up early to do this, Satyar Shah here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Sat? What's going on, boys? What's going on, boys? I mean, uh, as you know, Mike, uh, uh, I live and die by uh, how Chelsea performed. So they won yesterday. So I went to bed feeling good last night. So I was, it was easy getting up today a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, and my son, who is also a diehard Chelsea supporter, breathlessly recapping their Carabao Cup victory. I'm like, that's great, son. Congratulations. You'll <laughs> always have that third-tier trophy. Middle of the table. <laughs> assuming, assuming they win it. I think they got Fulham or Middlesbrough in the final. Anyway, I digress. Uh, another big win for the Canucks last night. You know, it's funny. I actually I was like, I don't know if we should talk about Kuzmenko because then people will accuse us of focusing on the negative when there were so many positives because there are so many positives with this team right now. And that's not something I've said I've got about a good Canucks. Way, I've got a good way to do it, to, me, to ask the question. Okay. Did the Canucks play so well last night that it would be impossible to get Kuzmenko back into the lineup Thursday against Dallas? Yeah, short of an act of God, and that's somebody getting sick ahead of the game on, on Thursday. I don't think we're going to see Kuzmenko. I mean, what four are you taking out after the game in Nashville? Was that maybe not one of the most complete road games we've seen? Like, did they have a single passenger up front? 
Nope. It was uh, a goal from each line, right? All four lines contributed mm-hmm. a goal. Uh, Jason thought it m- could potentially, and just in just theory, potentially. be Sam Lafferty because he was the low TOI guy yesterday. Doesn't kill doesn't kill week. penalties, and you got to keep those guys honest. But you bring up a good point. It's like you just had the most complete team effort of the season. You got the coach lauding them for how much they love to play collective team defense. How do you make any changes to that? Well, I don't think you can. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think they have to do their best to get more out of Kuzmenko. But I thought it was really fascinating listening to Pedersen game last night. And he mentioned playing alongside Pew Suter and how having two reliable wingers, guys that know where to be, guys that can track back and support him, made his life a lot easier. And I don't think it was a veiled shot at Andre Kuzmenko. But I think what it was, was it was the first thing that came to mind for why they were effective and told us, maybe why those line, that line hadn't been quite as effective with Kuzmenko on the wing. And that's not to put all, all that on Kuzmenko. Pedersen's had his struggles too. But there seems to be more than, hey, he's not following our staples in terms of the coach not being happy. When a guy doesn't play like this and gets demoted, maybe it has something to do with maybe the players that he plays with typically are also confused when he's on the ice. And I think that probably plays a part into why Kuzmenko is getting healthy scratched again. It probably goes a bit beyond just the head coach not being happy with how he plays because – if you don't quite have the trust of your teammates on the ice, then how can you put the guy in that position until he figures some stuff out? So, Sat, where does this go with Kuzmenko? Because we might have reached a point where we can ask the question, well, if he hasn't gotten it by now, is he going to get it? Well, it's a fair question. I mean, it, it stops being early when you're over a third of the way into the season, right? Like, I mean, we're going to hit the halfway mark of the season in a few weeks, and the next thing you know, it's the trade deadline that's going to be around. I, I mean... I still look at it and say, I don't know if there's a trade out there that's going to be, that's going to work out for the team in season. So I don't know if they really have any options where they're willing to cut bait. Cause they've shown an MO so far as a front office that as much as, yeah, they have guys that wanted to move. And Brock Bester was a big example of that this past off season. At no point where they're going to take a huge loss on making that trade. And right now I'm just not sure if anybody's giving you real value to grab Kuzmenko considering he has a year left on his deal. That's not to say, teams don't want him but i don't know if the canucks would want to take a hit on making that type of trade so i don't i just don't know if they're going to have the possibility to get what they want in terms of trade so i don't know if they have an option other than trying to make this work and if, if it comes down to okay th- this guy needs to figure out just the staples and, and do with the basics in terms of what we expect and his line makes expect from him i don't think it's that high of a bar to cross and you saw in post game on the little video the canucks posted of the celebrations right he's there fist bumping the guys we don't get any audio now because i think it's all rights related and in terms mm-hmm. of music and stuff like that. But there's no audio. We see Kuzmenko, like, very happy, you know, giving the guys daps, coming off the ice. So clearly he's not sitting there and pouting. And when I ask people around the team, they're like, hey, he's well-liked. He's a guy that does care. He does work. So I'm not sure I'm at a point where, where I think it's it's about to fall apart, that Milstein's on the phone about to call these guys and say, get my client the hell out of there. Like, he, he, from what I've heard, he loves the city. He likes being here. So I don't know if we hit the point where it's untenable. But I... I I am wondering, is it going to be able to work in terms of success this year at some point? Does he get it where they can trust him to a level where he can be back in the lineup heading into the postseason? Because I think the days of him being this 40-goal scorer or 39-goal scorer just hanging around doing his thing are going to be gone. Can he be a 25-goal scorer that does the basics right? I mean, I think that's kind of the bar we're looking for. And I don't think that's the hardest bar to cross. So I still have some hope he can figure it out. But, you know, it, it stopped being early once you're over a third of the way into the season. Should we also note that the Canucks have, aside from a few guys, been remarkably healthy 
this season. Uh, you look at, you know, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, all those guys have played 33 games, all 33 games for the Vancouver Canucks. So there might be an opportunity for Kuzmenko just in case, you know, just if the Canucks injury luck runs out. Well, and it probably will at some point, right? And not, not to, uh, you know, be be negative or anything, but I mean, injuries are going to happen. And right now, you're right. I mean, Tuck's been so remarkably healthy, and and hopefully it's nothing long term. There will be an opportunity for him to get back into the lineup. Like that will absolutely happen. And listen, I mean, he may not play against Dallas, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where he probably doesn't get into the lineup by thir- by Saturday. I mean, I think a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, for instance, he played a good game, had a strong performance as a line, um, but is he a type of guy that's going to really force his way to stay on that? roster beyond say maybe thursday's game like i wouldn't be surprised we see kuzmenko back on saturday against the san jose sharks so i think you can get that chance there but you're right they are going to have some injuries and there is going to be opportunities for them to get back playing that role but the thing i wonder about is if he doesn't figure out the staples and by the staples i simply just mean i don't even think they're trying to make him into a checker guys i think it's more about okay if you're the first forward in because that's just what happens sometimes you have to go to a certain spot and when you're at the end of your shift and you're tired, and even though you don't think you're tired, you got to dump the puck in and get off. You can't try to make a spin at the blue line, right? And he does those sort of things, not every shift, but he does it once or twice a game. And then you look at uh, how sometimes he'll feel like he sees a soft spot on the ice, and instead of being where he's supposed to be, he goes to that soft spot, and that creates confusion by, from the players in the offensive zone. So again, I don't think, the, I think he, those are the things he has to hone in on. And I was mentioning this on the post show last night. Uh, even if he plays on the fourth line, I don't think he has to go out there and, and be this crazy checker or go out there and score. It's simply, can you just play disciplined hockey and do the things we want from you for one or two games? And if you do, you'll get your chance to get back up there again. So I do think the injuries will play a part, but I think he's at a point now, it's kind of like when you're trying to teach a kid a lesson, it's like, just do this basic. And if you can do this basic right, I'll give you the reward. But until you do that, I don't care about the goals and the points. Just to clarify, there's been no indication that Kuzmenko's healthy scratches have anything to do with his fitness levels, right? No, no, I haven't heard anything about that. I've asked about that, too. I've heard none of that. I'm coming into training camp. He was in good shape. I mean, there was a lot made about you know him going to Bali and whether you know that was uh, as good as it was supposed to be or not. But I heard nothing about Kuzmenko in terms of his fitness. And if anything, he showed up to camp in better shape than he was last year. He tested really well. I mean, I think there was only one or two guys, and one of them who didn't test well, which was Dakota Joshua, and the coach wasn't afraid of mentioning that to the media either. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I, th- I think he, and even Pew Suter, I think, showed up to, and not in the shape that I think they thought he could be at. I think they were, they were probably the only two guys currently on the roster that maybe weren't at the level of fitness they had hoped a lot of these guys would be at, but I've heard nothing about Kuzmenko being out of shape. Um, when we talk about contract extensions, we talk a lot about PD and whether or not he's going to do a short-term or a long-term deal. What about Philip Hronik? Um, Are you assuming a long-term contract for him? He's 26 years old. Or do you think he could sign a deal where maybe he goes three or four more years and leaves himself with the opportunity to sign another big contract when he turns 30? Well, it's fascinating because of, uh, of who his agent is. And I, I've seen Alan Walsh talk about how the cap should rise, and if the cap rises, the guys can get paid more. So he's one of those guys that I think would look at a big picture and, and certainly tell his client that there could be value in doing something short-term. The thing I come around to, though, is and usually when guys have career years the way Veronica is having, they usually cash in while they can. So I'd imagine that as much as you, know, you could look at it and say, fine, two- or three-year year deal, is there any way Philip Veronica has a better productive year without – being a power play one 
fixture than he is this season when the Canucks are scoring pretty much everything they put on net, more or less. And not to say they're just lucky they're playing well, too, but things are really going their way. Is he going to have a better case to get more money than he has right now unless he gets a free agency? So I still view it as he, unlike Pedersen, is probably more mulling the longer-term deal. And it's really hard for a player to bypass the type of security. I mean, he only spent a decent amount of money, but anytime you put say 55, 56, close to 60 million total money in front of a guy who's maybe earned 10, 12 million in his career so far. It's very hard for those guys to say no to that. Do you think they could give him a cap hit higher than Quinn Hughes or is that going to be the bar? Oh man. So I've thought about this a lot and I think in terms of where the cap is going, you could think think of it as, you know, the cap's going to rise and you look at the percentage of the cap and when Hughes signed it versus when Hironic signed it. And you can make an argument and say, hey, giving him $8 million based on a cap that's going to be higher is actually less of a percentage of the cap than Hughes got. So technically, you're paying him less. But the numbers still matter. And I don't know if this team wants to be in a situation where they're second-best defenseman and Hughes second-best by a pretty wide margin because of how good Quinn Hughes is, that you're paying him more. If it's eight on the dot, could I see them perhaps doing that? Yes, but... I still look at it and say they probably want to get an eight-year deal maybe, and can you get that number to around seven or maybe mm-hmm. slightly below, right? And I don't know if you can get it slightly below, but I think internally they, they do view it as like, the cues is our high watermark, and maybe somebody will pay close to it, but we prefer not to. I, I kind of view it as do you do the, the say, the, the JT Miller signing, but eight years at seven and change something, so you get it by 57, 58 million, and that might be the bar. Like, I do think there's a walkway number for the Canucks. I don't think they're looking at it the same way to look at Patterson and say, hey, maybe we want to pay this guy, say, 11 and a half, but we'll do it to keep him. I'm not sure with Ronan, you can say, forget it. Let's just give him eight, 8.2 to make it happen. I'm just not sure that's going to work long term. Um, have you heard anything about how the Canucks are going to time all this? Because they've suddenly got all these key pending UFAs, like these guys that are playing well, like Teddy Bluger. I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. Dakota Joshua has been a big part of the, the the Canucks most consistent line on the third line. um, You know, Nikita Zadorov, that's going to be an interesting contract negotiate uh, considering um, what we've heard reported is that he wanted term with the Calgary flames. I imagine he's going to want term with the Vancouver Canucks as well. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep a guy like Ian Cole, which means that, you know, that's a veteran defenseman that they could in theory lose and would have to replace. Mm-hmm. And then Casey DeSmith, one of the better stories of the season for the Canucks and one of the better acquisitions for Patrick Alvin, he's a pending UFA as well. So how, how did they time all this so that they're not hit with this massive crunch on July 1st? Yeah. And I think we have to view it as what other internal options are around for the team. And, one of the things I've kind of heard is as much as they like all the UFAs they sign in a perfect world, they per- perhaps would like to keep most of them. That's just not going to be realistic. I mean, especially with the years these guys are having. Now, we're having this discussion, you know, at game after game number 33, and we'll see what the numbers of Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty, and, and even Casey DeSmith look like by, say, game 70, game 80, until the end of the season. And, and perhaps their cases to make two, three million or so uh, won't be as strong at that point. But right now, you look at Dakota Joshua, and it's like, is somebody going to give him $2 million on the market, perhaps? Sam Lafferty, as, as a big, versatile, bottom six uh, uh, center, can play wing, can do a bit of everything for you. Guys like that typically get, like, maybe David Kampf money, two, two and a half, three to four Did years. You? Could that happen for him? And if those are the deals you're, you're looking at, they could price themselves out. And I think one of the things they, they've been really looking at is, what are our internal solutions next season? 
And for a guy like Teddy Bluger, I think they love to keep him. But what, what are you working towards with a guy like Niels Olman and perhaps even to a lesser extent, Atu Ratu? It's one of those guys potentially next year to come in and play a bottom six center role and do it full time at a entry level type of contract or the contract that Niels Olman signed. So I think that would kind of be the game plan for one of the centers, hopefully. And I'm, I'm and as good as Casey DeSmith's been, when you have the goalie foundation and you have Artur Silov and Ian Clark and some of the guys are trying to develop, does it make any sense to give a guy who's going to be 30 two or three years at $2 million plus to be your backup netminder? I'm just not sure that's going to happen. So I'd view those guys as kind of being, or Casey DeSmith especially, and even Teddy Blue could perhaps be their own rental, get through the year, and maybe less likely they sign those guys. The one guy I really keep an eye on more than anyone is Tyler Myers. Because there's going to be interest in him as a big right-handed defenseman. Do they do the Luke Shen with him and say, hey, he's going to have real value. And if we want to keep him at a cheap rate, say two years, two and a half million, we'll do it. But is he willing to do that? I wouldn't be surprised that we hear something around Myers in the next couple of months about, are they going to sign him? Or do they explore moving him and upgrading his position? That's the guy I keep the closest eye on. The rest, I think they might kind of use them as their own rentals based on how this season is going. So uh, this is uh, our last show, Halford and I, for uh, until the new year. And we're going to be watching the World Juniors over our break. Uh, Sweden's going to be real interesting to watch for Canucks fans with Lekker Mackey, Tom Willander, and D. Petey. Um, how far away are those guys? Oh, man. So I think, you know, Willander, when he went to college, I think some people viewed it as, hey, can he play one year and then come back? I viewed it as you probably want to give him two years. So I look at Willander as being maybe two years away from playing games for you. I think LeCarrie Mack is probably the same timeline away. I'd say DPD might be three years away. And I think it's exciting with, with how well LeCarrie Mack has played. I think it's exciting with how uh, Willander is adjusting fairly well. Has some struggles, obviously, but adjusting fairly well to the North American game. But like, look at it this way, guys. How often do you see players come in? spend a year after being drafted, come to the NHL and then make an immediate impact. So let's say even if, even if Willander bucks all the trends and, and makes a team next season, is he doing anything more than being your sixth defenseman, maybe seventh defenseman? And LeCarrie Mack, given his size, given no, no familiarity with the North American game, there's no way he's going to come in and play in the NHL next season. And even if they do, as rookies, it might be a little bit uneven, right? It might, you know, they come play a little bit, might get sent down, you know, might get healthy scratched. So I look at it as, okay, maybe they're two years away from playing, but from making an impact, they're at least three years away. You know, you have to be realistic. As, as exciting as they are as prospects, I don't think you can view these guys as being top four, top six, or even everyday contributors for another two or three years. Sat, you, uh, I don't know if you guys get a lot of texts in about players like Travis Konechny in Philadelphia, or if it's just Mike in West Kelowna that is constantly texting <laughs> us about Travis Konechny. Um but, you know, I think if you look at this lineup right now, there's a case to be made, although we've liked so far what we've seen from Pew Suter with Petey and Mikheyev, that if they could get a hard-nosed goal-scoring winger into that top six, it would go a long way. And, you know, maybe that's going to take moving out Kuzmenko. Maybe that's going to take even including a first-round draft pick. Have you heard anything about the Canucks' appetite to do something significant like that? So you know, now the Konechny thing, I think you blame Dan Riccio because Reach loves uh, Travis Konechny. And he's, he said he would even move a first-round pick to acquire Travis Konechny. So um, maybe you can blame him for consistently getting those Konechny uh, right. texts coming in okay. to the inbox. I, will, but, I, like, I like to blame Dan Riccio, and I will in this case. 
fantastic. It's great. You can blame him, and I can I can just bypass it as always. But uh, but as far as uh, connecting goes, or them trying to make that type of a trade, so I do think they're open to pretty much anything if they can get the price that they want. I think they're going to be reluctant to move the first unless um, unless they can get somebody with more control than one or two years. Now, Konechny, I think he's the type of player that they like, right? And I think he fits kind of the type of players that they've been after. Ivan Barbashev never got the free agency, but I think they would have loved to add him if they had more cap space and the chance to sit down and talk to him truly at the start of free agency. And if that would have happened, perhaps they could have convinced him to come to Vancouver, but he ends up staying in Vegas. I think the player profile of a Barbashev and Konechny are somewhat similar. The only thing with Konechny is he's not the biggest guy, right? Like he plays hard, he's hard-nosed, but do they view that as the player that they want to give a first-round pick for? I think the guy they want to give, they, they give the first-round pick for would be somebody that's probably a little bit bigger or and maybe somebody on the back end and somebody with a little bit more control. But I wouldn't be surprised that they're kicking the tires on those types of players right now. If they don't land the aforementioned goal-scoring winger that Bruff was pointing out there, how comfortable are they just rolling with Pew Suter there? Well, I mean, for the time being, I think you should be pretty comfortable with, with how Pew Suter is playing because of his overall defensive ability too, his versatility that he can play with. But it's not a long-term solution. The thing is, though, as much as you want to be in on this year, are you looking at it as copper bust, as in this is the best chance you're going to have in three or four years, or do you view it as the start of the window, like Rutherford said, that, okay, if, if things come along that we can do, we'll do it. But if not, we're comfortable running with this team and seeing where they take us. And once you get to the end of the season, maybe that better informs truly what you have, what you're lacking, and how to go about maybe addressing some of those things. And, you know, Pew Suter, it's interesting because – I view him still as being a center on this team, especially right. next season if you can't keep Teddy Bluger. So you can make it work on the wing now, but ultimately I'd imagine that they're viewing him as being a staple down the middle for them, maybe later this year heading into the postseason, but more especially next season. Do they well, know- it actually brings up, a, sorry, sorry to interrupt, brings up a big question about the first round draft pick is like they need some more centers in the organization, do they not? Well, they do. And I think if you go back to this year's draft, they liked Tom Willander a lot. The other guy they liked quite a bit was Nate Danielson. And I'm not sure which one they would have taken if both guys were available because Danielson got picked before Canucks picked that 11 by the Red Wings, right? But I, I heard they were really high on him. And they were looking at some of the centers in this year's draft. And Nate Danielson, big right-handed centerman, good defensively, has some offensive chops, right? It kind of made sense the profile that they're looking for. And considering that, not that they've solved their defensive prospects, right? I mean, they have more than they've had in the past. They haven't been treating players. But if you look at it from organizational depth, like Otsu Ratsu may be a winger. Right now, if you're looking at who's your best chance of being a bottom six center, it's probably Niels Olmont organizationally because Ratsu may end up playing the wing ultimately. And if that's the case, go through your prospects too. There aren't a ton of guys that are burgeoning as uh, the centers that are coming through. So I do think... Uh, as much as we're sitting here and talking about, uh, yeah, trading for a guy long term, adding another center to the mix is going to be important. And even bigger picture, it's like right now, JT's doing more than fine playing center. But in two or three years, is he going to be better off transitioning to the wing? And then as he ages out, now you're getting a power winger that you're asking less of instead of a 34, 35 year old center, you're asking a lot of, for instance. So I do think there needs to be a succession plan there where you can shift him to the wing in a couple of years. But the only way you can do that is having a guy you develop, and you have to get that guy into your system. So it's a good point. As much as they're willing to trade that first, I do think they still want to add uh, a prospect center. And that's something to keep an eye on, though, like in terms of 
Niels Hoagland or the other moves that they make. We always look at, hey, what if they go out and make this top six edition? What if they make a top four edition? What if they do something that's a bit different in terms of trading a prospect or a younger player for another younger player that plays the position that they're looking for? And would that be something they explore? Our last guest of our last show of the year was also one of the best. Sat, thanks for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Enjoy the holidays. Let's do this again in 2024. Hey, my pleasure as always, boys. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. That's Satyar Shah. Uh, you all know who he is. I don't even need to tell you what shows that he's on. He does them all. He's like, Yeah, all of them, basically. He just mm-hmm. did Halford and Bruff, mm-hmm. which is great. Okay. He looks so good on TV, too. We never have a chance. People ask us, why don't you go on TV? I'm like, I'm not trying to match up with that. It's because of blood. Look, look, look we yeah. got to deal with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't we'll, stand a chance. He's well put together. He looks like he bathes every day. I'm not doing that. True. We did we did television twice. It was twice too many. And everyone was like, you guys are gross. Yeah. Thanks. I had, I, that's when I had the really long hair. Yeah. It wasn't good. Anyway. That's in the past. 2023 is over. Why is the dude on television? <laughs> really ties the room together. Uh, we are, we've got one final segment on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. It's what we learn, and we are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Senators. January 2nd, what better way to kick off the new year than to go see the Canucks play? If you want to do that, you got to win the tickets. If you want to win the tickets, you got to send in a what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Put a ticket emoji into your text to win the tickets. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. Here coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Good. Good. You got it. Right before we leave. Nice. That was the best one. That was a good. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It is what we learned time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound, real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. All right, let's do some what we learned from our side of the table. We're going to start with basketball, Ben. I feel like we may have been a little, I may have been a little premature with the basketball, Ben moniker because golf, Ben, while it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, is probably more appropriate. Maybe. You're more of a golf guy than a basketball guy. But I love watching basketball more. Okay. So it's go. okay. Good. We have to talk about sports. We're not yep. playing in sports right We're now. We're going to talk about basketball right now. But Yo, what we learned is yes. basketball-related. Yes. John Morant, 34 points, and the buzzer-beater game winner in his return after a 25-game suspension. His Grizzlies are doing horrible. They're third last in the West. They're terrible. But they got the win last night. And his suspension absolutely killed this team. Like yep. his, his suspension cost this team probably a trip to the playoffs. They're six and a half games back of the play-in right now. Right. So... He cost his team basically the season, maybe, but if they make a run back, 
That's pretty impressive. And so, they weren't great last night. They were down 24 to the Pels. They actually had to have a huge comeback just to get the chance for him to win it at the buzzer. I think the Pelicans went on a 26-2 to two run yeah. at one point. Yeah. But that's that's not very good. Is he like what does the future hold for John Morant? And uh, that that is a pretty big question mm-hmm. individually, but also like will the Grizzlies remain committed to him? I think so. Yeah. He's a superstar. Yeah. And I, mean, I think got, it's they so, went, they went superstar through, with a few issues. They exactly. Went, well, they got through this. Theoretically, assuming he stays off Instagram live, like he's you know, he should be all right. I hope he learns from his mistakes. Yeah, but how many times have we said that? Three times <laughs> yeah. last season, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Not once, not twice, but thrice. But my yeah. point is just like when you cost your team probably their season, maybe that's enough to be like, I got to change. Well, they went there's, there's so there's two things at play. There's the personal reclamation project, whether he can get uh, the help that he needs and get his head on straight and his life right. And the other part of it is the team is going to be more difficult because they played so poorly without him. Like, I don't see, especially given how long he's been off and like they're the lead in one of the ESPN stories. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it was mentioning he was so fatigued and he was like really struggling down the stretch that he was uh, using a, a massage gun. Come on. Uh, it's there. I didn't write it. I don't work for ESPN. God, I wish. Um, they they basically said like it was it took everything that he had in the tank just to get a one point victory where they rallied from twenty four against the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. They went six and nineteen without him. Like that's a that's a very big hole to try and dig yourself out from, and I don't think they're going to be able to get it done. Just too bad because it's a they waste were, of a year. They were the number one seed in the West last year. I know it's a waste of a year mm-hmm. for a good team with a superstar player. And if we've seen anything, it's that. You know, progress is not always linear. Sometimes when you get an opportunity, you got to take it. You can't just assume that the good times are going to keep rolling because other teams get better, injuries happen, age happens a lot quicker than normal. You I don't, do, I don't do know what Instagram videos that like, right? sideways. They, Sometimes that happens. Yeah. So you, and you don't know like what the future has in store. To just say that everything's going to be great and he's going to come back, it's you know very naively optimistic. I, I hope it happens, but I don't. I mean, aside from the fact that they're the bastardized version of the Vancouver I don't Grizzlies. want any success for the Memphis Grizzlies, though. I liked... Cover- I want them to move I liked, to Vancouver. But remember we, when, <laughs> when Ja Morant ascended to superstardom, we had yeah. on a writer from Memphis, mm-hmm. and we were covering the story, and it was hard not to like the way that he played basketball. Of course. And I remember Greg Popovich, and usually oh, that's a good litmus test for like when you know someone is special and Pop goes out of his way to praise them. Like he said there was an artistry about the way that he could attack the game in the air, and he was so small. And he was played such a vertical game, but all that's been lost now because all anyone wants to know about is like the social media stuff and his personal issues and whether he can overcome them. Mm-hmm. Never mind if he's going to get back to being the player. That he, was he was like Allen Iverson that has yeah, like he, Derrick Rose yeah. athleticism yes. and hops. It's yep. it was it's a those were the comps. Thing. Those were the comps for sure. He was the modern version of those guys, right? right. Okay, uh, give us a mook on that. So I learned that the New England Patriots weren't the only NFL team that was interested in trying to acquire Nathan Rourke. We had this, we're talking about it yesterday. It was made official that the Pats claimed Nathan Rourke on waivers from the Jaguars. Rourke is now a member of the Patriots. And because of the way the waiver rules work, he gets to be on the active roster for the final three games. Another team made a claim on Nathan Rourke. The Houston Texans. Now, this one was interesting because the Texans, unlike the Patriots, are good at football. 
unlike the Patriots, their season has meaning right now, and they're actually in the thick of a playoff chase. They're uh, eight and six, and their season has been thrown into arrears because their starting quarterback, star rookie C.J. Stroud, is dealing with an injury. Mm -hmm. So right now they're playing Case Keenum, at quarterback. You'll remember him from remember that, that brief moment he had in Minnesota. Yep. Case yep. Keenum's having a moment. Mm-hmm. He's not having it in, in <laughs> Houston. I mean, he was okay. And they did get uh, a comeback overtime victory on the weekend. But um, I anyway, never mind the Houston Texans part of this. I think it's interesting that two teams put in claims for Nathan Rourke. I would love, love to get a one-on-one candid off the record interview and ask Nathan Rourke all the questions I want to ask about mm-hmm. going to Jacksonville. Like, are you disappointed in your choice? Did you get, uh, is there a nice way to say this? Lied to. Yeah. Did you get a raw deal from Doug <laughs> Peterson and company? Because yeah. it's very obvious that there are other NFL teams interested in his services. And is it pretty obvious he never had a chance to really be the backup there? You know what? I hope Trevor Lawrence can't play this weekend and they have to play CJ Beathard. They earned that. The Jacksonville Jaguars. You know? This is a year in which we have seen more random, untested, unproven, inexperienced quarterbacks get, and not just like token snaps at the end of games, multi-games starting at quarterback. And it just makes you wonder, could Nathan Rourke have gotten some tape this year in another situation? I, You know, when he first signed, I thought, what a what a unique opportunity. You'll get to learn under a really good quarterback coach in Doug Peterson. You'll get to play with Trevor Lawrence and maybe learn from him. Yeah. And then, you know, a month after signing the deal, it's like, no, you're the third stringer. Welcome to the practice squad. Mm -hmm. So I'd be very curious to know what Nathan Rourke thinks about all this. I hope he gets a game with the Patriots. I really do. Yeah, me too. Uh, Give us a mooko on that. Does anybody else have one? A-Dog, do you have one? No, he's shaking his head. No, Bruff, you don't. But you're going to uh, read the winner, correct, of the mm-hmm. tickets, our last one. So let's fire up the dot matrix. What we learned, Humanoid Edition, is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them online at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God. The winner of a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Senators Tuesday, January 2nd at Rogers Arena. That's also our first day back at work, by the way. Jason, who is it? P in the loops, which you, which a lot of people do, I guess. Ploops. <laughs> Ploops. P in the loops. What we learned, last Canucks game I got to see in person was the infamous December 4th, 2021 game. And that was the game that the Canucks lost 4-1 to Pittsburgh and Travis Green was fired afterwards. So infamous, I didn't remember it, but yes, go on. Would you believe that making it to the game was tougher than watching the game? Thanks to everyone's favorite weather wagon, the atmospheric river. (laughs) It proved rather difficult to make the game coming from Kamloops with all the highways closed. With no cancellation on hotels and tickets, we took the only route to Vancouver $1,300 worth of return trip flights for the wife and myself. I am ready to go through hell and back for this team again. Easy decision nowadays will be a complete no-brainer if I get a set of Halbro tickets. Have a good Christmas, Halford and Bruff, Dog, and Basketball Ben. That deserves the ticket. To make sure all the dates were correct Mm -hmm. before we read out this text... And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm all confused here. Like, December 4th, 2021, I remember they lost, and the schedule shows they lost to the 
the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and then there are all these postponed games. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I totally forgot that after Bruce Boudreau was named coaches, there are all these COVID postponements. That whole year or two of like, I it's all kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm starting to learn that my memory isn't very good. Yeah. Because everything is like mushed together. But like, do you remember those days when it was just like, oh yeah, there's a game canceled. <laughs> Well, don't you remember? It was, it was like, oh, okay. It was during that. We still. I don't to, remember it at all. Oh, there I was the, there was the border rules. Like Besser and Miller couldn't get into the U.S. because they. All right. Yeah. And Boudreaux was all pissed off about that. Boudreaux used to wear his mask down below his nose. Like I remember all of it. Yeah. I don't remember the specific timelines, mm-hmm. but it was the the Bruce. There it is. The the origin story of Bruce. There it is. Those first few days and weeks. Remember, he, he came on board, and he didn't know who Yuho Lamico was. And I was like, you're not alone. Uh, and then and then he's like, Lammy. Lammy scored a goal for me. And I remember thinking, like, what an endearing guy. I wonder if this will work out. And then it did. For a bit. And then it didn't. And then it decidedly did anyway, not. So um, congratulations to P in the loops. Loops, they call him. Loops. Nick from Poco, what we learned, it's so nice to not be Canada's dumpster fire this year. Watching the Senators with my dad in person will be like watching a steak. In a dumpster fire. Well, unfortunately, One, Nick, it's a tire fire, sorry. not a dumpster fire. Tire fire. Um, it is nice to not be Canada's tire fire of the year. The Canucks last year, I remember them leading off Frege's segment with Merrick almost every show. And the 32 Thoughts podcast was always something about the Canucks. The dumpster fire has kind of been to a few different places in Canada already. It started in Edmonton and Calgary. Um, it's been in Ottawa, obviously, a few times and probably is officially burning there right now. Although they might be booking a flight back to Edmonton with the Oilers losing three in a row. Right now, the Canadian tire fire is in Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how they lost last night, right? (laughs) They blew a three goal lead to Arizona. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's like Jock Martin's going to come in and clean up the defense. Blown three goal lead right away. To Arizona. The high powered Coyotes. That was the Jacob Chickren grudge game there. Uh, abbreviated BVH. See, I feel like I got Dollywald saying that, but I don't know what it is. is what it we BVH learned. BVH and abbreviation anyway? Whatever. Uh, what we learned, getting a penalty for breaking your own stick on someone else's is the dumbest penalty in the world of sports. I disagree. I know it was Connor Garland, right? Yeah. Who got the penalty yesterday. I mean, that is just evidence that you've slashed, especially when you tomahawk chop someone's stick and your stick breaks. There was a game a, game a couple. But you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. There was. Uh, was it- I, I know he was looking at the ref. He's like, look, my stick's broken. I got slashed. And the ref is like, I saw the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you were the guilty one. Um, there was a play a couple of games ago. I want to say it was Bluger. And he. Came in and did a stick lift and just, like, knocked the stick out of the guy's hands. Yeah. So it wasn't just a traditional. Was the puck there? No. Okay. And I remember thinking, I'm like, was that legal, what he just did there? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a rule against it. But then I thought about it. I'm like, I don't know what the rule would. I don't even know what you no, call it. No, if you're playing hockey and you do that to someone and their stick goes flying, you're just like, learn to hold on yeah, your stick, that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That's two minutes for not holding your stick, basically. Yeah. Uh, I got well, from- yeah. If you're at the front of the net, I don't know in what position it was but if you're in the look, front of the yeah, net we're right up against it for vacation so i'm not gonna look it up i'm too tired no no, no it, it's someone your... text in you know what the play i'm talking about i just can't remember what game it was and i want did he lose his stick did the yeah guy lose the his stick, stick went flying it was right. an aggressive stick lift it was yeah a... it's two minutes for not holding on to your stick yeah, that's on you buddy that's yeah. not on that's not on bluger okay uh tambo in east van with what we learned i learned it was another fantastic night 
for Vancouver hockey fans on Tuesday night. Canucks win. Leafs, Oilers, Bruins, Avs, and Golden Knights all lose. I don't know why you picked those. I get Leafs losing. They they got... um, Now, the the scoreline suggests it was worse than it was because all the Toronto riders were like, they were just unlucky, those poor Leafs, those hard-done-by Leafs. They lost 7-3 to the Rangers? No, 5-2. Oh, I thought it was 7-3. No. Where did I come up with that? Don't know. Bruins lost to Minnesota. Avs lost. We talked about that one. And the Golden Knights gave up six and a loss to uh, Carolina. So, yeah. You know, it's funny... I've kind of started to do the out-of-town out of scoreboard watching, um, and I'm starting to look at the high-end teams to see if the Canucks can mm. catch them or keep pace with them, and I stopped looking at the, the playoff bar. That's where I'm at mentally. I know it was 7-3. The Rangers recently lost to the Leafs 7-3. Yeah, they beat them 5-2 last night. Um, here's an ask us anything. We'll allow it. Yeah, sure. It's not, not Friday. Is it from Mike and Aldergrove? No, it's oh. from Matt not on the island. Ask us anything. What is the most hungover you've ever been attending a sporting event? So two come to mind for me. Not Sunday's game in Vegas. <laughs> you were stone sober? <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, I still haven't been to a hockey game in Vegas. That needs to be rectified. Um, Canucks training camp in Penticton. I don't know what the year was. That's all when we I rented remember. the Airbnb together. Oh, nice. my God. That was sweet. We had a very large night. Uh, yeah. I think it was the Saturday night. It was the it was the last night in Pentecton. I remember going to training camp, and I'm like, I don't want to be here. We stayed there for like 11 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like let's get out of here. And the other one would have been like any Seahawks game I've been to, mm-hmm. because normally you go down there and you have a huge night on Saturday night. I remember one, I had like an hour of sleep, and then I was also responsible for driving home, so I couldn't drink at the Seahawks game. And it was it was it was prime Seahawks loud stadium too. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, I there was a couple times where I'm like, listen, I'm taking this off. I'm taking this playoff. I'm not gonna be loud. But there would be someone behind me, like who I didn't know, who'd be like banging me on the shoulders or like, get up and make some noise. It's third down. I'd be like, I need to get the hell out of here. Let's go twelves. <laughs> I don't think I've been back to a Seahawks game. <laughs> The best thing we ever did was we got press passes for a Seahawks game one time on one of those aforementioned weekends. The spread that they have in the media buffet for NFL games was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was basically like you're nursing a hangover and then they've got a breakfast buffet so you can just sit there and eat and watch a football game. It was perfect. We did no work whatsoever. We didn't even try and pretend like we had laptops or were working media. We just hung out and had top pot donuts and coffee and all the breakfast food you could imagine. Okay, my bliss. My mistake. I made a mistake. It was Hoaglander on the on the slash, not Garland. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Oh yeah, someone brought it. You know where it was in Penticton that we went? It was the the barking parrot. That's yeah. the one. And the next so, day it was the barfing parrot. I'm not proud. <laughs> I'm not proud of this story, but. Uh, they had a cigarette machine there. This is how long ago this was. Jeez. And the person I was with was like, you kept buying cigarettes and then losing them. He's like, you were putting money into that thing like it was a bloody slot machine. Like you were just feeding. The, and I, it what, was, was it like selling singles or something? No, no, no. Packs. Oh, okay. He said, oh, we're about cigarettes going off from the ghetto, man. He said I would buy it and then put them in a non-existent <laughs> pocket in my pants and then they just fall on the floor. Some guy just collecting free cigarettes <laughs> all night. He's about to do it again. That's what we got to go back to the smoking parrot. Where did <laughs> my, is amazing. Where'd my darts go? And then I'd be back to the machine. It was not a proud moment. Okay, it's not a proud moment. Uh, what we learned: if Kuzmenko sits in the press box for any longer, his nickname should, should be Seatsfleisch. Yeah, that's something we learned today. 
Uh, well, I, well, I taught you. I taught you guys the German word for being able to sit down and concentrate on something for hours and hours. Whether it's reading something, whether it's writing something, um, Sitzfleisch. And Kuzmenko can sit there and focus on his lost roster spot because mm-hmm. I don't know when he's getting back in. I feel like he bounces around a lot in the press box. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go see what's what's to eat." I. I'm like that in the press box, by the way. I can I realize that. So why one of the reasons why I'm so amazed by these guys that are able to focus on these project projects for so long. Half the time I'm like they're all on Adderall, right? Possibly because when I go to games, I've told myself a few times I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just watch this one player. I'm gonna be like an NHL scout. I'm just gonna watch this player. And I'm not gonna get distracted by anything. Thirty seconds later, I'm focusing on another player or I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Right? like I would be awful. As an NHL scout, they'd be like, go watch this guy. And they'd be like, what did you see? I'm like, it was a great game. Yeah, you look good. <laughs> it was pretty a great good, game. I'm not going to lie. You should good. have seen it. Some guys were tweeting some funny stuff. It was amazing. Uh, this one is from Gary Gary Garrison. His name is Gary. His nickname, also Gary. Uh, hashtag WWO, what we learned. After four injury-riddled seasons, former second overall pick in 2017, Nolan Patrick has officially retired from the NHL. Yeah, I saw this come across this morning. Uh, we were actually talking about this. This was one of the so when you cover the Stanley Cup final in baked into the Stanley Cup final is they bring out the top prospects, right, for the, that year's draft, and they do the sort of media car wash at the Stanley Cup final. So mm-hmm. that was 2017 in Pittsburgh, and this was the Nico versus Nolan draft. Remember that Nico yeah. Hesha versus Nolan Patrick? And it was funny because I remember I was trying to ask nicely uh, Nolan Patrick what he felt as being possibly the number one overall pick about everyone saying it's such a weak draft class because it was the year after McDavid and Eichel. <laughs> so what was the delicate question you asked him? Like zero tact. Like it was just, <laughs> what's it like being the best player in a worst draft class? Like I just I, I just biffed the whole thing. He wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy he about crying. it. No, he was angry. So Nolan, your draft class sucked. Yeah. But you were yeah. first. How does that feel? Well, it's going second overall, kind of like going like 12th overall in a better draft. Yeah, like, Drafter projected to be a second rounder. Um, how do you feel about being drafted? It's actually a really it's 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 a it's a sad story actually with Nolan Patrick not being able to play um, but a I full just, NHL career just because um, I guess he had those migraine issues. Concussion and migraine issues. Yeah. yeah, he played two. I couldn't believe how many games he played. But he played over two hundred games. Mm-hmm. He won a cup, sort of. Right. But I'll say this: the only reason I brought up the draft class thing was that draft class now is one of the best in recent memory when you consider who came from it. He sure. Heiskanen, Makar, and Petey. Right. Yeah. Like it's that's so an just incredible the, draft. Yeah. It's amazing. The, the, I think Heischer's one of the most underrated players in the NHL. F- the four of the top five picks are like borderline superstars yeah. in the league. It's crazy. And mm-hmm. it just goes to show, you know, everyone thought that, that it's that, a complete waste of time to talk all these prospects with all the prospects guys that we have exactly. on. Exactly. And, and it's all, frankly, a bit of a racket. Yeah. Big scam. Big, big scam. That's it. <laughs> big prospect won't be happy with your comment there, bro. <laughs> uh, oh, this one is from Doug and Pomo. Hashtag WWO, what we learned. Age seems to have finally caught up with Alexander Ovechkin. He has just one five-on-five goal this season. The race for 894 seems daunting. I am, we talked about this with Wish a little while ago. I'm very curious now if we're seeing 
the downfall and this is when he yeah. falls off a cliff or if this is a slump. Because if it's a slump, it's one of the worst of his career, and he's never had one like it. I want to finish with a funny one. Kevin on the road. What we learned, I just went to my son's first Christmas concert last night. When it ended, I instantly called my dad and thanked him for attending all my Christmas concerts from when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. I sat through a Christmas concert yesterday. It was actually quite good. I was uh, impressed by it. Uh, I wanna... It was French immersion, so it was all in French, and I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but... <laughs> they're trying their best, though. But they're doing great. <laughs> they're doing great. I'm going to use that as a jumping-off yeah. point to say thank you, <laughs> to the French immersion listeners? Yeah, thank, well, no, thank you. Wh- whatever language you're listening in, thank you for making us a part of your mornings throughout all of 2023. It's been a lot of fun. We've really enjoyed it. We're going to be on vacation until the new year. But on behalf of all of us here at the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, thank you very much. We appreciate you all, and we look forward to doing this next year. Anything you'd like to add? Merry Christmas. There you go. Happy New Year. And we'll see you after the World Juniors, after um, we'll see where the Seahawks are when we see you. It's going to be exciting when we're back. Happy Festivus. Thanks, Andy. We got to go. <laughs> Signing off. I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Basketball Ben. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.